Welcome to Near East PolicyCast, episode 30 for September 28, 2017. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. On September 25, the government of Iraqi Kurdistan defied nearly unanimous international diplomatic pressure and held a referendum on Kurdish independence from Iraq. Since then, hostile rhetoric between Kurdish leaders and their counterparts in Baghdad, as well as with the governments of neighboring Iran and Turkey, has escalated quickly. We are in a very heightened sense of emotions, both in Kurdistan and Baghdad. But it happened, the referendum happened, the international effort to postpone it was not successful. But escalating further in a region, in a place like Iraq, might as well result in violence. That was Bilal Wahab, a Washington Institute scholar who closely follows Iraqi politics. He joins us today to sort through the fallout of the referendum. What comes next for Iraqi Kurdistan? Can confrontation, even violence, be avoided? How will the referendum shape the legacy of Iraqi Kurdish leader Masoud Barzani? And how should American policy approach the growing tensions between two vital Middle Eastern partners, Iraqi Kurds, and the Iraqi government in Baghdad? After this. This is Rob Satloff, Executive Director of the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting those policies that secure them. Find all our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at WashInstitute. We're speaking today with Bilal Wahab, the Institute's Sora Fellow, who studies Iraqi governance with a special focus on the Iraqi Kurdistan region. He is taught at the American University of Iraq in Suleimani, where he established the Center for Development and Natural Resources, a research program on oil and development. Bilal was among the first Iraqis awarded a Fulbright scholarship, and he's written extensively for American publications and in the Arabic and Kurdish media. He joins us today to talk about Monday's independence referendum in Iraqi Kurdistan, the Kurdish Regional Government, or the KRG. Bilal, welcome to Near East PolicyCast. It's good to be with you, Scott. Thank you for having me. Well, let's set the scene for listeners. We're recording this conversation on Wednesday morning, U.S. time, about 40 hours after polls closed in Iraqi Kurdistan. Official results so far say a high referendum turnout of 72% produced a yes or pro-independence victory with just under 92%. But there were widespread boycotts of the voting by non-Kurdish residents. Iran has closed air travel to Iraqi Kurdistan. Iraq has announced military drills along the Kurdish frontier. And Turkish President Erdogan has several times now angrily denounced the vote as a betrayal. Before we get to the vote itself and internal Kurdish politics, has the referendum sparked a regional crisis? Might it have backfired? We're not there yet, but it might. Because the uh, reaction from uh, from Baghdad in particular, uh, but also Ankara and Tehran have been quite uh, harsh. Uh, Iran was the first country to take uh, actual measures against the KRG by responding to a request from Baghdad to shut down uh, its air traffic uh, from uh, Iranian airports to the two international airports in Iraqi Kurdistan. Turkey is saber-rattling by conducting a military exercise on the uh, on the Kurdistan border. And now that uh, some units of the Iraqi military have also joined that military exercise, uh, it's a show of might to scare the uh, Kurdish uh, side. But from what I hear, the uh, Kurdish officials and the Kurdish uh, 
uh, analysts do not expect an all-out Turkish invasion for a variety of reasons that I'd be happy to get into. Uh, and then finally, Baghdad is uh, um, uh, trying to uh, explore punitive measures against the KRG. Um, and of course, uh, it's being spearheaded by Iraq's prime minister, uh, Haider al-Abadi, who tried very hard to um, not only rally the international community, uh, but also uh, use soft uh, rhetoric with the, with the Kurds to postpone the referendum. But now that the referendum is behind us, he needs to appeal to his base and uh, show leadership and show strength, which matters very much, uh, especially as Iraq is headed toward parliamentary elections in, in uh, April of 2018. So uh, his second term basically depends on how well Abadi will handle the, uh, the situation with the Kurdish referendum. So far, it's been very harsh rhetoric, threats and warnings, and, and even the threat of using uh, military uh, uh, tools to, uh, to succumb the KRG to uh, go back on the referendum. Uh, but nothing of consequence has so far uh, happened. The way that Baghdad could hurt the KRG would be to shut down the airspace, uh, or create, uh, um, you know, escalate violence, especially around the disputed territories, most notably Kirkuk. But none of this has already happened, but we're seeing a lot of elevated and heated rhetoric. So we have to basically brace ourselves for the next few days and weeks and see uh, what will uh, come out of these, uh, these threats and this uh, um, um, heightened uh, 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 and, and, and tenuous um, uh, language and rhetoric. Well, it seems like the neighboring countries, as well as uh, the government of Baghdad, have have escalated at least their rhetoric very quickly since Monday. Is is there a way for them to climb back, or are we looking at at least uh, a, a near-term period of continued escalation, both around and possibly within Kurdistan? I believe that these neighbors will see it in their interest to somehow uh, slap the uh, Kurdistan regional government on the wrist. It depends on how far they go in taking punitive measures. Uh, It's definitely uh, in the interest of uh, Prime Minister Abadi to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, come across as strong and as a a powerful leader, uh, especially to his base. Uh, His rivals in, in Iraqi politics are strongly anti-KRG, namely former Prime Minister um, Nouri al-Maliki on one hand, but also other Shiite militias uh, in the popular mobilization forces who are looking forward to translating their military victories against ISIS into political victories at the ballot box uh, come spring 2018. So he is, uh, uh, Prime Minister Abadi is dealing with formidable opponents uh, and therefore, it's only expected that he will come across as very tough against the KRG. Uh, so far, uh, he has asked the parliament to, um, well, sack the governor of Kirkuk before the referendum. And now he has gotten the go-ahead and the green light uh, from the parliament to take any uh, necessary measures to uh, sanction uh, the, um, um, the KRG, try to force it to go back on the referendum. And of course, none of this is going to happen. So it's basically a question of how much escalation will will uh, Prime Minister Abadi need to fulfill that political goal. Otherwise, facts on the ground and the balance of power between both sides uh, 
uh, unless we go toward violence, which both sides do not want, and it would definitely undermine the effort in concluding the fight against ISIS, and as the Operation Hawija continues, it will probably contain, be contained in the realm of uh, threats and maybe some form of economic sanctions, uh, for example, Baghdad can shut down the uh, Iraqi uh, Kurdistan's airspace, and it has already threatened to do that. It has given KRG an ultimatum until uh, basically Friday night to surrender uh, the airports, as well as the uh, uh, international border crossings, the land bridges between uh, Kurdistan and basically Iran, Turkey, and Syria, mm-hmm. to the Iraqi federal authorities. And if uh, KRG fails to do this, according to Baghdad, then Baghdad will take uh, more punitive measures. And again, more most likely threat in this case would be to shut down airspace because the federal government still controls um, Iraqi airspace, including Kurdistan's. And then in, in, in that case, Iran has already complied with that request. And if Turkey and some of the European um, um, uh, carriers were to comply to this request, then they could uh, put a hold to air traffic at, the, at Kurdistan's two international airports. I do not anticipate major military action on the Iraqi side against Kurdistan, despite the uh, the threat. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Abadi said that he, he on the table is the option of using the military to take back all of the territories that the Kurds have gained since 2003. Uh, but that would be declaration of war. And I, I imagine even if Baghdad were to take such a measure, uh, the international community will probably intervene and mediate to avoid such a conflict because Again, that would be a major, major distraction from the war against ISIS, definitely more major than the Kurdish referendum. For Iraqi uh, Prime Minister Abadi, uh, as he's looking to shore up his nationalist credentials uh, ahead of next year's uh, parliamentary elections, is it enough for him to simply send a sufficiently tough message and to uh, essentially own the rhetoric of a tough stance a tough nationalist stance against Kurdish independence, or does he actually have to produce results uh, in terms of uh, achieving some kind of uh, back down from independence, whether that's uh, getting a deal or actually winning uh, unilateral concessions from the KRG with tough measures? Prime Minister Abadi won't be able to do it alone. He will need the support of the neighbors. The country with the greatest leverage on the KRG uh, is uh, Turkey, because uh, the Kurdish economy's lifeline goes through Turkey, and that is the pipeline that exports Kurdish oil to Jehan port and through there to the international uh, waters. Now, Iraqi uh, government has asked Turkey to shut down the pipeline and surrender Kurdish uh, exports to Iraqi authorities, but the land borders as well as the pipeline are still operational despite uh, Baghdad's request and also despite very harsh rhetoric from uh, from the Turkish side, including the uh, uh, president himself. If this trend continues, elevated uh, rhetoric and threats on one hand, but not much changing on the ground, um, it, it becomes a matter of, of, of how long can this uh, continue. The Kurds, the Kurdish government is is bracing for some punitive measures, including the shutdown of the pipeline. Uh, But the anticipation there is that even if Turkey were to shut down the pipeline, it would be uh, for a limited period of time because the bilateral 
positive relations that the Kurdistan regional government has built with the neighbors basically since 2003 has created, albeit an imbalance, but a win-win situation. For example, because Kurdistan is landlocked, the only way that the Kurdistan region can export its oil would be by piping it through uh, some of some some international waters. And now the pipeline that uh, has achieved that is one that goes through uh, Jehan port and, and uh, to the Mediterranean. Yes, the the uh, Kurds depend about 95% of, of Kurdish export uh, is oil, and therefore that creates a huge leverage uh, for Turkey on the Kurds because if they were to shut down the pipeline, then they will you know choke the Kurdish economy and, and bring it to its knees. But let's remember that the money that the KRG makes selling that oil through Turkey ends up buying Turkish uh, products. The cash flow that comes from selling oil ends up uh, he- helping Turkish and Iranian businesses. The money that the KRG makes by selling oil uh, ends up uh, buying Turkish products, Turkish services, uh, helping Turkish investors invest in Kurdish uh, economy. Much of the uh, booming uh, reconstruction and construction business in Kurdistan is carried out by Turkish uh, construction companies. But also, the you know, Genel Energy is one of the largest oil and gas investors in Kurdistan, and they have a a great uh, and, and Turkish company. I mean, Genel Energy is an Anglo-Turkish company, and they have a they have a, a a sizable stake in in the Kurdish oil and gas industry. So by shutting down the pipeline, Turkey will also be shooting itself in the foot. And let's also not remember the Kurdish dimension here. Uh, one of the main reasons why Turkey was opposed to the referendum and, and ultimately an independent Kurdistan is, uh, you know, fearing a domino effect with its own Kurds. There are more Kurds inside Turkey than there is uh, in Iraq. And Turkey has been uh, waging a, a civil war with the PKK, uh, which represents some of the grievances of the Kurds in Turkey. But the good relationship between KRG and Turkey has really helped the current Turkish government to appease its Kurdish population by, A, creating job opportunities for these Kurds, uh, some of whom come to work in the KRG in the many sectors that I mentioned, but also the import um, that the Kurdish economy in Iraq is dependent on uh, comes from new factories and businesses that mushroomed in the southeastern side of Turkey, which resulted in a lot of Kurdish, uh, in a lot of job opportunities for the Kurds on the Turkish side. Um, an all-out invasion or a, or a blockade on on Kurdistan will also go badly uh, in Turkey itself between the Turkish government and its own Kurdish people. And finally, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, and in particular uh, Iraq's president Masoud Barzani, who has spearheaded this referendum effort, has been very helpful to um, Turkey in securing the KRG uh, Turkish border. The, the relationship between Barzani and the PKK is not, is not best of relations, and therefore they have found common goal, uh, Ankara and Erbil have found common goal in keeping uh, the PKK uh, at least peaceful and keep them in check uh, rather than using, allowing the PKK to use the KRG as a, as a launching ground for activities against the Turkish government. So, yes, Turkey has tremendous leverage on the KRG, but uh, I wanted to point out that uh, by hurting the KRG for an extended period of time, uh, Turkey will also be uh, shooting itself in the foot. So some punitive measure 
would be expected, uh, I think, uh, for um, Turkey's internal politics. Um, it is also important for Erdogan to come across as tough. Uh, but a long-term um, embargo on Kurdistan uh, seems to be uh, unlikely. And, and you had mentioned uh, that one area of potential leverage that Baghdad uh, might have with the KRG involves a disputed areas. Now, the far northern highlands of Iraq have a long-standing ethnic Kurdish majority, but south of that, there is a band of territory, including the populous city of Kirkuk, with a more mixed population that is claimed by both Iraqi Kurdistan and by Baghdad, with portions controlled by each side. So, first off, how did the referendum play out in the disputed territories? We don't have the final results yet. Um, from, what, from what we hear is um, the minorities generally boycotted the referendum. Uh, but, of course, the, Kurds, uh, the Kurdish turnout was, uh, was quite uh, significant. Mm -hmm. And um, the nature of the, the mechanics of the referendum works in a way that the votes of those who show up count. For example, in Kirkuk, it seems that the yes vote uh, has won, uh, despite the boycott of the Turkmen and the uh, the, the Arab uh, minorities. But uh, you know, just just that with the same logic that uh, respective Iraqi governments have not been able to unilaterally uh, control Kirkuk and change the nature of Kirkuk, this is also true for the KRG that it cannot simply impose a Kurdish identity on, on Kirkuk. And, and um, the Kurds acknowledge this. And um, the KRG president, Barzani, issued uh, a post-referendum statement, and he also presented a, uh, a roadmap for um, a post-referendum Kurdistan and negotiations, not only with Baghdad, but also how, how a future independent Kurdistan will be dealing with its ethnic and religious minorities. And uh, in, in that, um, you know, white paper, it gives rise to the minorities. It says that a future independent Kurdistan will be a republic. It will be federal, which uh, alludes to uh, having, um, you know, devolving rights to ethnic and religious minorities, making both Turkmen and Arabic official languages besides Kurdish. These are all promising languages, but at the end of the day, it's, it's action that matters because some of these stipulations are also present in the Iraqi constitution. So it becomes a matter of how able are the Kurds uh, to convince the Turkmen and the Arabs uh, to play along and, and uh, agree to be part of uh, you know, a Kurdish-controlled entity, be it an independent country or be it you know, a, a sovereign entity in a confederation with Iraq. The experience so far seems that Turkey and Baghdad remain to have greater leverage on the Turkish and the uh, uh, Arabic population in these towns. But it seems that uh, with hosting refugees in Kurdistan, because, you know, um, the Kurdistan region hosts around uh, um, one and a half and two million Iraqi internally displaced peoples, that has gone a long way in winning some hearts and minds of, of Arab populations. So there may also be a mismatch between what, politi what political entities with political allegiances say in these disputed territories and uh, how much can uh, they represent but also pressure their own constituents 
to vote for or against uh, the, the referendum. But quite frankly, these are nuances. What matters is that uh, the Kurds conducted the referendum. They positioned the ballot boxes and uh, the majority of the Kurds showed up for the referendum. So the Kurds have this talking point, this upper hand of saying, we asked our people, the people want independence, let's negotiate with Baghdad how to get that independence. And uh, the rest will will have to be, uh, well, A, negotiated, but B, Kurds have have to be tested on, on how better they will be compared to Baghdad in dealing with their own minorities uh, that live in Kurdistan. Well, and, and your last point alludes to an important distinction. This was not a referendum uh, voting yes or no on a declaration of independence or an independence constitution for the new Kurdish Republic. This was uh, essentially an advisory referendum, uh, the people being asked to express their preference for what their local government uh, should adopt as a stance towards Baghdad. It wasn't yes or no on independence per se. Uh, it was yes or no on whether the uh, KRG government should pursue independence with Baghdad. Does does that distinction in the terms of what was on the ballot matter going forward? You're exactly right. Um, the Kurds were quite clear uh, that this is not a referendum to redraw borders. And it's not a referendum to unilaterally declare independence. It is a referendum so the Kurds can have the upper hand and have a clear mandate. So the KRG officials and leadership has a clear mandate to negotiate reformulation of relationship with Baghdad, including uh, with the goal of independence in mind. Now, independence is the maximalist position. But when you say this is my, you know, ultimate goal is independence, but I'm willing to negotiate, obviously, you mean that uh, this is subject to negotiation. And uh, many in the Kurdish leadership, but also international negotiators between KRG and Baghdad, uh, allude to, um, you know, a midway step between federalism, which the Kurds uh, assert that has failed in Iraq, and ultimate secession and independence and a, a new flag in, uh, in New York at the UN headquarters, could be confederation, could be shared uh, sovereignty, uh, as also some of my, my colleagues like um, uh, Mike Knights mentioned in a, in a previous uh, podcast with you. Um, and, and that's why the Kurds were so adamant about moving ahead with a game-changing card in their hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, now um, the rhetoric elevated all the way uh, to, the, to the September 25th. The international uh, pressure on on the Kurds and the Kurdish leadership to cancel or postpone the referendum uh, had the opposite effect. It actually had the uh, rally around the flag effect. Even the Kurdish parties and groups who were opposed to the referendum decided to support it. Uh, Many of the opposition leaders who, until the day before the referendum, were calling for postponing it, when they saw how the international community basically came together, uh, even ironically, where you have Iran and the United States speaking in unison against Kurdish referendum, uh, they all decided to uh, dip their, ink, uh, their fingers in the, uh, in the indigo ink and, 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 and vote yes uh, for, the, uh, for, for, for the poll. And that's why uh, some of the, the earlier polls that we saw about uh, you know, prediction yes vote was in the 70 range, but now we're looking at a 90% range. Uh, range. Now, 
as I mentioned, because this was called for by the Kurds and, of course, organized by the Kurds and also monitored by the Kurds in the absence of uh, any international monitoring, and there's a history with, um, you know, uh, poll rigging in, 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 in that country and that region. But uh, this doesn't shy away from the fact that uh, whether it's 70% or whether it's 90%, the majority of the Kurds ended up going for uh, uh, the referendum, voting yes for it. And, and this was, in fact, one of the probably positive dividends of holding the referendum for internal Kurdish politics, that it united the Kurdish house, the Kurdish parliament that was dormant and shut down uh, by, by uh, President Barzani in October 2015, finally restarted and was reactivated. And... Um, now, it's a question of, so, so populism is high, nationalism is high. These threats are also coming at a time where uh, the Kurds are, are bracing for, uh, for some impact, but the level of unity is, is, uh, is greater than it was before. So uh, we have to wait and see, basically, how tough the threats will become, how much of these threats will materialize, and how much Kurdish unity uh, will hold. One point of, of a warning here is that we are in a very heightened sense of emotions, both in Kurdistan and Baghdad. But it happened. The referendum happened. The international effort to postpone it uh, did not, was not successful. But escalating further in a region, in a place like Iraq, might as well result in violence. So the U.S. offer to negotiate and to mediate negotiations between Baghdad and Erbil is more necessary than ever, despite the U.S. warning that if the Kurds refuse the alternative to the referendum, which was to postpone it and sit down in dialogue with Baghdad, then U.S. offer to mediate will be off the table. I think that offer is most necessary right now because uh, we have a very emboldened Barzani who was hoping to hold the referendum, and he did. He's quite stubborn. Uh, but he has given himself two to three years to declare independence. If Baghdad were to attack Kurdistan or to take uh, very deep uh, and, uh, and and hurting uh, punitive measures against the KRG, then Barzani might, might as well get his shortcut to statehood. And saying instead of having it in, in two years, he might as well say, Baghdad doesn't want us anymore, so let's have our independent country within two months. Well, turning then to U.S. policy, now you, you, you say the offer to mediate has been helpful, but so far uh, it, it seems as if U.S. policy has been uh, a little bit reactive and uh, largely rhetorical rather than, than substantive. And, and perhaps that's just the limitations of, of uh, reacting to fast developing events. But how would you describe the U.S. government's policy toward the referendum so far? I agree with you that it was reaction. The United States uh, is disappointed with uh, Kurdish leadership because uh, the Kurdish leadership did not uh, enter dialogue uh, with the uh, United States government. They did not play out the steps. Uh, actually, that's also one reason why Turkey is so upset because uh, they feel that uh, you know Barzani is a partner, but. Uh, they heard uh, the, the declaration of, uh, of of calling for a referendum in the media, and and then of course the pressure, the American pressure, was mainly on the Kurds to postpone the referendum. There was comparatively less pressure on Baghdad to take some 
measures to appease Kurdish worries. So while all the pressure was in Kurdistan, um, there was very little, well, definitely not, 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 not much publicly being asked of Baghdad to do in order to encourage uh, um, the KRG from, uh, from going back on the call for referendum. Uh, and the pressure was much rhetorical uh, in the form of statements uh, that um, maybe the United States wasn't quite as forceful in communicating those messages the U.S. opposition to the referendum on one hand. And on the other, uh, some in Kurdistan also did themselves the disservice of um, either willingly or, or unwittingly mistranslating U.S. messages and play uh, their significance and their opposition down. This was definitely true in the Kurdish media. Uh, so whether the message was lost in translation intentionally or not, uh, or um, another reason why uh, the U.S. effort to dissuade the Kurds probably wasn't successful was uh, the pressure was, uh, you know, rhetorical between allies. So the United States was, you know, addressing the Kurds as I'm making an ask of you as an ally, but that request wasn't necessarily supported with adequate and tangible carrots and sticks. Um, and especially when the international community in unison, including Iran and Turkey and the neighbors, uh, all spoke, you know, with one word against the Kurds. There was very little for Barzani uh, to win by canceling the referendum, mm -hmm. but a lot of face and credibility to lose by doing so. So in a way, he was cornered into a position. And he also did not help himself uh, by cornering himself as well, in addition to the international pressure, by um, making the decision whether or not postpone uh, the referendum a personal decision. One avenue, for example, to postpone the referendum without losing a lot of face would have been through the parliament. But the parliament met and endorsed uh, the referendum in a very haphazard and, and quick meeting. So the decision was one man's decision. Mm -hmm. And that one man, uh, you know, president of Kurdistan Barzani, has a lot of pride. And uh, one of the reasons why he called for the referendum in the first place uh, was uh, to set a legacy. The presidential legacy that he has wasn't really doing well because he extended his, uh, he, he served two terms, he extended a third, uh, he refused to step down when uh, the extension ended, and he forcefully shut down the parliament that tried to uh, depose him. And, um, you know, this was not a good end for, you know, a, a Kurdish Peshmerga who joined uh, the fight at the age of 16 to leave Kurdish politics with that, with that record. So this, you know, corrected that legacy for him, corrected that record for him. And maybe some of this was not quite understood. Some of these personal, emotional aspects wasn't quite appreciated in Washington. Hmm. You, you framed the, uh, the, the policy challenge for the United States uh, nicely in terms of uh, making asks of an ally. And, and in this case, Washington is dealing with essentially two very important allies and regional partners, both in the Baghdad government as well as with the, the Iraqi Kurds. So going forward, what should be the U.S. strategic objectives regarding Iraqi Kurdistan? And what policy steps should Washington be pursuing now to help achieve those objectives? I think the main objective would be to de-escalate. Mm -hmm. uh, Baghdad has an interest in uh, escalating the rhetoric and even practical measures against the KRG for the reasons that I, uh, I alluded to earlier. 
Unfortunately, KRG might have an interest in seeing Baghdad escalate because then it can tell the world, look, I told you so. We cannot live with this kind of uh, mentality, with this kind of uh, government approach, with with these kind of leaders in, in, in Baghdad. So uh, it's a prisoner's dilemma. Um, and therefore, uh, the role of the United States as a, as a go-between is, is more important than ever. The U.S. interest in Iraq is to defeat ISIS. Uh, but to defeat ISIS, the United States is relying on Iraqi and Kurdish partners. These partners have deep-rooted issues. Some of them go to the day that Mr. Sykes and Mr. Picot draw the borders. And ever since, the history between both sides has not been good. Uh, Baghdad has uh, new grievances against the Kurds for not uh, playing ball and not uh, adhering to the Constitution. Uh, the Kurds have probably 10 times as much grievances against uh, Baghdad, both historical with genocide and uh, Anfal campaigns and chemical weapons by the former regime, mm-hmm. uh, but also a partnership that, they, uh, that the Kurds feel very disappointed uh, that the constitution that passed in 2005 uh, wasn't respected by uh, federal authorities uh, in, in, in Baghdad. So, again, interest for on both sides to escalate. Uh, God forbid a violent eruption in, uh, in Iraq would definitely undermine the war against ISIS. And uh, it will be very unfortunate for the uh, investment in blood and treasure that the United States uh, exerted in, in Iraq. Uh, but uh, the sooner the United States decides to uh, uh, enter negotiations, force both sides back to the table, um, and 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 de-escalate, uh, um, the better. Let's hope escalation uh, does not continue on uh, both sides in the in the days and weeks to come. But regardless, uh, we will keep a close eye on this issue and uh, look forward to bringing you back on uh, Near East Policy Cast below. We've been speaking today with Bilal Wahab, the Washington Institute's Sora Fellow and a scholar of Iraqi Kurdish politics. You can follow Bilal on Twitter at Bilal Wahab. That's B-I-L-A-L-W-A-H-A-B. Bilal, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. Nice talking to you. This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Music